So let's pray. And then I've just got a few things I'd like to share, and then we'll feast and relax and be in fellowship. It'll be wonderful. So Father in heaven, we are grateful for this space and this time and our community, Lord. So we ask you to bless our evening. We ask you to bless our learning. We lift all of these things up to you, and we pray them in your mighty name. Amen. So I was thinking this week about optimism, because in general, I'm a pretty optimistic person, maybe not about aviation. I'm a little bit pessimistic about aviation. That's not true. I'm optimistic about that. But I'm a very optimistic person, but what I've noticed is that kind of the Christian world we're living in is not a particularly optimistic world. And what, what actually got me thinking about it was other groups that proselytize. And, and the optimism that they have when they go out and they share the message of their faith, the Mormons, the Muslims, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And what I was thinking about was the manner in which they share their faith tied to the manner in which they believe that their faith is true, and then going out and fulfilling what they believe is their commission to go, to go share. But they do this from a place of a positive outlook. And <clears throat> I think that we've shifted... The church today has shifted into a much more negative outlook. We, we live in this negative world. Part of this maybe was, I was listening to part of a conference that was like a negative view conference that was talking about the shift that we've made culturally in this negative view world that we have when it, it comes to Christianity. I find it interesting that it doesn't always apply to other groups. People will speak ill of Christians and not speak to the same level of ill to some other groups. I found... I was finding that a little bit humorous. I mean, we can, we can talk very, very poorly. Even this, I'm reading a Stephen King book, and Stephen King's no believer, I don't think. Though it's funny, he uses a lot of Bible references, and not all of it's particularly negative, but he gave a huge dig on evangelical fundamentalist Christians in the book. And he does, he gives one like pretty solid dig every text. The story's still a really great story. But he would, pardon? Yeah, he is. He's still alive. But he wouldn't have made that dig about other religious groups. and other re- He wouldn't have made that dig about the Mormons. He wouldn't have made that dig uh, about Islam. He wouldn't have made that dig about... But he consistently makes it kind of in one place. So there's this, this kind of this outright hostility that, that exists too. But the problem isn't just that the world's negative about the view of Christianity. We used to live in a, a positive world of, of view world of Christianity. So if you had said to somebody in business or in academia that you were a Christian, that would have helped your social standing, social score, whereas now, by proclaiming your status as a religious believer does not help your social score. I don't mean like social credit score like China has, but there was social capital that came from an expectation that if you said you were this thing, that you would do business in a certain way. And Now, that didn't always happen because people are sinful and whatnot, but I think there was a social expectation of that. There was even a social expectation at one point here that people would belong to a church that you participated in those activities. So we've moved. We've moved from that. There, there used to be this positive view of Christianity. And we live kind of in this net. There was a neutral view for a while. You do you, I do me, everyone, whatever, that has now moved into a much more negative view, especially when it comes to issues of the day, things like abortion and same-sex mirage and things like that. And so culturally, there's this negative view of Christianity, but then inside Protestantism, we also carry our own negative view. We don't hear, but but I think greater Protestantism, Protestantism does. This this kind of this idea where they've bought into this negative lie, they've kind of 
bought into this lie that, well, everything's just going to get worse and everything's just so terrible and, you know, maybe the, this negative view of the world is the world that we should buy into. And I think what it's rooted in is that everybody has what's called an eschatology. Everybody has an end times theology. Whether you are religious or not, everybody believes something. If you believe perfect health and the perfect body is the solution to long life, your end times philosophy will put you running many marathons and Ironmans and being at the pinnacle of your health. If your end times theology is the security of money, you will work and live in a manner which all of your energy is devoted to making money. And so we have these individual kind of end times philosophies, and we have them within the church, too. We actually have eschatology that is within the church about what the church believes is going to happen at the end. Is it all going to get a whole bunch worse? Is it all going to get a whole bunch better? All of these things play into what we believe about the end. If we believe that life has meaning, if we believe that it's a positive outlook, will impact the way that we act here and now. Like, if we're just resigning that it's all going to get worse, our actions, either consciously or subconsciously, will reflect that. If we don't believe in God at all, and we don't believe in any of the promises of the Lord, and we believe that life on earth is just this time to be maximized here and the rest of it's just pointless, consciously or subconsciously, we're going to live according to that. And so what has gotten me thinking, too, is that within the last few hundred years especially, the church has taken a shift from a positive eschatology, things get better before Christ's return, to this negative eschatology that things only get worse before Jesus comes back. And I think a lot of this, the, the challenge that, that surrounds people staying in a positive outlook is that we have stopped believing in the promises of God. We actually act like the promises that God has made aren't really true. We act like God hasn't promised all of these things are going to happen or the things that He had promised that have happened have happened. So we're good about talking about how God will provide for us and how He's good to us and he will, um, he, he will give us the things that we need, but we don't always internalize it and live like it, like actually really and truly believe that God's promises are true. I'm going to talk a lot about the promises of God tomorrow. And I think some of it's tied to when we feel that God didn't provide for us in the way that we wanted, not actually how we needed, then it's like, wow, it's just further proof, you see, that the promises aren't true. It was just a literary format that was being used thousands of years ago. We can't expect those promises to be true today. But that's not true. If God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. If, if the promise, if God promises us as His people something to be true, and we believe in God, and we believe who He is and who He says He is, then those promises have to be true. Psalm 2, for example, I like Psalm 2. I like the Psalms in general and Proverbs. I like wisdom literature. I'd like to sing better so I could sing the psalms better. Thank you. My students complimented my singing. Uh, psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. He says in verse 8, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He, he specifically, verse 7, tells us who he's speaking to. He's speaking about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This whole creation is yours. Which means God's promises exist for the, the whole of his creation. What about the Great Commission? God tells us to go out and do something. Do we not believe that we can be successful at the Great Commission? Oh, well, you know, he did tell us, but he didn't really expect us to actually be able to do it. But, but why not? Why don't we believe if he gave us a commission to carry out, why don't we believe that we're going to be success, uh, successful at it? The Mormons live in this positive world of eschatology. They believe in their outlook so strongly, they'll go baptize the dead. They, they are so set that they have the right answer and that they're doing the right thing. They're not, by the way. No, I don't, I don't know if... I think we've accepted that failure is going to be part of the equation. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I think, I think your question is great. I don't think it's just that we're afraid of failure. It's we almost expect there to be failure. Um, That's not possible. It's not possible. You know, there was once a concept of fighting for Christendom. I mean, there was a point in time where knights were Christian soldiers. The Knights Templar were Christian soldiers. They fought for the church. They fought for the king who is the head of the church. But see, now we're in this, this kind of backwards world. Most churches in the Protestant world believe in an end times theology that was never historically supported by the church. It's, it's doomsday. It's only going to get worse. Everything's The end times are upon us right now. Don't even try. Why even worry about it? It's a very short-sighted view. We look at, we look at history this far and we say, well, it's only getting worse. When the reality is we live in the most prosperous time in the history of ever. People live longer. You have better access to health care. You have better access to food, clean water. But then how, how did people, like, back a while ago live to, like, a thousand? Well, that's a different, that's a different thing altogether. Um, we, can, we can talk about ages, and, you know, that's what we're going to talk about, too, um, at Fight, Laugh, Feast next year as well. Do they, like, have a, more than that's, one birthday a year? That's a, no. They don't. Wouldn't that be great if you had a birthday every month? But it wouldn't work out, would it? You couldn't be born every single month over and over again. But I think the problem is it takes a short-sighted view. Yeah, would. Yeah, but if you were a twenty, that would be a leap year birthday win, if you got to celebrate every month because you'd hit the twenty-eighth on every single month. But I think the problem is, is that we've, we've taken the short-sighted view. We've expected that things will only get worse. They will only fail, that things can't get any better. And then we're surprised when the church today isn't willing to stand up and fight for anything. Well, what are they fighting for? They, it's almost like the defense mechanism of resignation. Well, there's nothing I can actually do about it anyways. So let's just get Jesus to come back and rapture us all and... Happily, for the right, that's exactly what they are. But we, we should be, what we should be doing is fighting for all of Christ, for all of life. It reminds me, I use the example all the time, but the guys at Stephen's Dome took 400 years to build that cathedral in Vienna. 400 years, and it was built by the community. They didn't have paid workers, so they packed their lunch, and after work, they took their families, and they worked on the cathedral. That at least three generations weren't going to see the outcome of, maybe depending on longevity of life, maybe four generations. They were literally investing in something 
for future generations. It wasn't for their glory, it was for God's glory because they believed so strongly that they were building something that was there to last. We don't build things to last anymore. I really think we need to get a resurgence of beautiful churches, beautiful stone buildings, beautiful artwork, places that, that venerate and, and capture the awe and the beauty of the Lord. I mean, it said, I realize why some places have to be in strip malls, but every strip mall church saddens me a little bit. You can do nice things on the inside, but it does sadden my heart a little bit when it's like an Ace Hardware. It's a lot of it, not even. And then the church and the physical building next door to it, these beautiful edifices that we should be thinking about. But the seven zone, people going to build something that they were investing in future generations. You see, we should be doing the same thing because God promises us that He will rule over, that He does rule over all nations. He promises the church a millennium of rule, of, 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 of the church's success before Christ's return. And He's called us as part of the dominion mandate to build this with Him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we as His children get to be His agents. We get to have dominion over creation and we get to glorify it. We get to beautify it. There was a, a guy at Fight, Laugh, Feast who's trying to make art beautiful again. And he won, he won uh, this award, like, you know, upcoming artist of the year or something. And they took it away from him when they found out his religious beliefs. And so he's been making really, his name's Arthur Kwan Lee. You should look him up. But he's been making really cool, beautiful art because art should be beautiful. That's why you don't have me create that kind of art. My art has to be different because I wouldn't make it beautiful. There's just so many miserable Christians walking around. It makes my heart really sad. It, and it makes sense why they would be in that place if they don't believe they're integral to building something beautiful for God's kingdom. With each individual gift that you have, because what you build is different than what you build and what you build. Everybody is part of the body contributing unique gifts that the Lord has given us, not copycats of... That's what makes community and society so beautiful. And, and I was just going to say, do I, do I even use the word diverse? But it does, right? It's everybody bringing unique skills and gifts that are then glorifying and making things more beautiful and more wonderful through forgiveness and mercy and love and all of that. And so I think that if we look at our lives as citizens of God's kingdom, and we look at our lives in that space as agents and joining in His creation, then we change the way that we, we interact with it, the way we eat food, the way we drink, the way we feast, the way we love, the way we care, the way we support, because we're trusting in the promises that God has given us, that, that He said He will provide, and we believe that He will provide. And then that allows us to be joyful in what we do, because what we do isn't for us, that we get benefit from it. See, that's the real beautiful thing of like being in service is by serving others, you still receive benefit, but it's not about you. It's about being in service of other people. And what makes me sad is that if you claim to be a Christian and your life isn't joyful, you're kind of missing the point. You're missing like the robustness and the beauty and the point of what it means to live a life where you're forgiven and a life where you're in faith with Jesus. And so I think if we're the people of God, we should really act like it. God's already crushed the devil's head. I'm excited 
A week from tomorrow is the beginning of Advent, and we're going to talk about anticipation and what anticipation for Christ looked like then and what anticipation for the second Advent looks like now. It's really, really, really cool. But we can, we can be joyous because God's won, and we're on the winning team. And He adopted us and gave us all the rights and all the benefits, imputed all of these beautiful things upon us, And so we're to go out and take those into the world and beautify His creation and glorify Him through it. And of course, we're going to face persecution. We all know that. But we get to rejoice rejoice when it happens. I mean, that was the very end of the Beatitudes, right? So Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For, they, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Or even, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Romans um, 5, 3 through 5. Romans is such a great book. That's Paul's theology book. It's so wonderful. But Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We are people of endurance. We are people of hope. We are people of resilience. We are people of joy. We should be like the cathedral builders at Stephen's Dome where we we could build it in the back if you guys want. We could start bulldozing some stuff and bring some bricks over and build the cathedral. But we should be people that are focused on building things for the generations to come. We want to be the people that leave an inheritance to our children's children. We want, to have, we want them to have a faith inheritance, and we want them to have a physical inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So we should remind ourselves that the promises of God are true. We should remind ourselves that we can trust in Him, that our faith, part of being in faith, is trusting that He will deliver upon His promises. And so that should lead us to go out into the world in joy, with a joy and positivity that can only come from knowing that we have a God that loves us and that has adopted us and has called us to do things, and He's called us to be His agents. We're going to read about the golden rule tomorrow. You all know the golden rule. Because we are in faith, we can do things that those who aren't in faith can't, like loving our enemies. We really can change the world. We can have this incredible, positive impact for the world. At the very end here, I'll wrap up. But Matthew 28, 18, this is right around the Great Commission. Uh, sorry, I should have tabbed this one. 28, 18 says, this is right before give the Great Commission. It says, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, go therefore and tells us what to go do. But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So why do we worry? Why are we negative? We should do all that we can to build His kingdom and do it in joy and have a great time and be incredible joyful people making joyful noise for the Lord because we are the builders of Christendom. Like, how great is that? It's really wonderful. So I've had an incredibly optimistic week. The Lord is really good, and I wanted to share that little bit of optimism with you. And now I'm going to share some steak with you and some delicious food and drink. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you, for sending your son, 
for our salvation and a new life that can only be provided through faith in you. So Lord, bless us, lift us up, allow everyone here safe passage home, and allow everyone here to do all that they do in joy and for the glory of your name above all. And in this we pray in your mighty name. Amen.